on with the opening match here, we had an eight-man tag with the Un-Americans, consisting of members Christian, Lance Storm, Test, and new Un-American member, William Regal, who just joined the group two weeks prior to this pay-per-view, taking on Booker T, Goldust, Bubba Ray Dudley, and that's gotta be Kane! Yes, the big red monster was in this match as well. And, um, you know, this was your typical match. Americans taking on un-Americans. You know, traditional guys who live in the U.S. who love to get a hot dog somewhere in New York City at a stand against un-Americans who are fouled to that predicament. So, um, I thought this was a pretty okay match. I mean, it stuck to tag team formula. Um, which is all right once in a while. I mean, you had almost every superstar during this match uh, hitting their finisher, which is pretty typical when it comes to tag team bouts. But, um, you know, this was a solid opener. Obviously, Kane got the win here, and obviously he would be on the route for the World Heavyweight Championship as he would face Triple H next month at the next uh, month pay-per-view, No Mercy. And um, the fact that Booker T was the big baby face here and that's something that kind of pisses me off on a daily basis on a consistency <laughs> once in a while is the fact that someone of booker c's caliber now i understand he was in wwe's creation that's fine there's a lot of stars who come from other organizations and they end up doing big and you know triumphant in their way but the fact that booker t was a big baby face at this moment Leading all the way until WrestleMania 19, when he faced Triple H for the World Heavyweight title, that was a big miss. Now, I'm not sure about you, Freak, but I believe at the time, the way Booker T's route was going, after the whole um, Alliance storyline, the Invasion storyline, with WWE buying out WCW and ECW, Booker T was one of the hottest stars that WWE acquired. I would say he was that big one they acquired because uh, they they couldn't get Sting. Rey Mysterio had to write out his contract. So <clears throat> out of that initial group that came over, I think Booker T was the biggest. And look at SummerSlam 2001. Like, he was facing The Rock. So clearly that was your uh, big uh, acquirement. But, yeah, I you guys know I'm not a fan of Booker T, a.k.a. Booker Tits on this podcast. But I do think he deserved to run with the title. I think, yeah. <clears throat> I think um, he's talented. And to let someone's talent shine, you have to allow it to shine. You have to give him that opportunity. It's fine if you don't believe in him, but give him the opportunity. Prove yourself right or wrong in terms of whether or not you believe in him. Um, I think he would have made a decent little world heavyweight champion. You know, it's... Even if it's just like a transitional period, I, I think he should have had a run with it. And the whole Triple H thing, WrestleMania 19, you know, the storyline was stupid. And then you had, you know, it's always it's always the race card, and it's just annoying. Like you couldn't think of anything better. Like you really, honestly, have a team of writers, and that's what you could come up with. It's like the hot lesbian action. That's the best you could come up with. Oh my. God, we'll, we'll get to that. But, yep. oh my God, I couldn't believe what I was watching. But, you know, it's, yeah, like I said, Booker T, I think it's a missed opportunity, but, you know, I think this is one of the few blemishes in his career, except for that one promo he gave in 
on Nitro that one time. We know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, you still better watch your ass. He might still be coming for you. And, uh, oh, yeah. But, commit a, um, commit, might commit a drive-by shooting down there in yeah, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Uh, I'd be fine Houston, with that. Houston, we got a problem. But, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, got a problem, brother. <laughs> the, 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 the way I see... Booker T, you know, obviously he wouldn't reach that main event spotlight until 2006, winning the King of the Ring tournament, defeating Bobby Lashley, I believe it was at Judgment Day, and then once that gimmick came along and in full effect, that's when they were like, okay, we're gonna put the strap on Booker now, when honestly, I'm not a fan of those type of gimmicks, you know, oh, you win the King of the Ring, now you gotta go buy that gimmick. Yeah. Like that's like the, that's like the same inception when it comes to like Baron Corbin. Oh, you won the King of the Ring what like a year or two ago now, and now you know you're still going on with this King persona, and now you have your Knights of the Lone Wolf with uh, fucking Stephen Cutler and uh, Wesley Blake, which you know the way I see Wesley Blake, very underutilized talent. I loved the tag team back in NXT with uh, Buddy Murphy and Alexa Bliss. I thought they were spot on. I thought they would have been all called up at the same time. Obviously, that wasn't the fucking case because WWE wants to be fucking screwballs like they've been the past 15 fucking years. But anyway. You need a minute? No, I'm good. You need a smoke? No, no, no. I'm good. I had that already, but. I could go for like a Luigi's icy if anything. Oh but anyway, anyway, we're gonna go on to the next match here. We had an Intercontinental Championship match. Talk about disappointing and ruining the reputation of the most prestigious title in WWE history. I wouldn't even say the world title is prestigious. The secondary title is always what makes the main eventer, in my opinion. I'm not sure about you, but you know, when it comes to that caliber, yes. It's always the secondary title that gets that person over. So, we had Intercontinental Champion, which I had no fucking idea he was Intercontinental Champion at that time. Chris Jericho, or should I say the bubbly, you know, fat gut 50-year-old I still want to dress like I, you know, fucking Joey from fucking Full House. Uh, he, he looks, Chris Jericho. He look, yeah, he looks like Chris Jericho, you, you've seen Men in Black, right? It yeah. looks like it looks like the bug that ate out Edgar, and then he's now wearing the Edgar suit. Chris Jericho looks like the bug ate Chris Jericho, and he's now wearing a Chris Jericho suit. It's just awful. Like I, I don't even. It's bad, and you can't even defend yourself at this point. Like, what are you? I'm gonna quote you. What are you doing? Like, you're over there. He's just. I know he's a huge alcohol consumer, which is, well, huh, so are we. But that doesn't mean you need to give up your cardio. And he's, he's getting up there in age. So how old is he now? 50? Is he 50? He's 50. He is 50. So, so what the fuck are you doing, man? Obviously, you need to do more cardio. Do some weights. Just fucking walk 10,000 steps a day, for Christ's sakes. Get a Stairmaster. Jesus Christ, like... It's not the demo guys, the calorie god. I'm gonna start calling him that now. It's just sad. I can't stand him anymore. I cannot stand him anymore. I really can't, and that sucks. Well, looking at Chris Jericho, looks like somebody ate the Judas and the priest. So uh anyway, we had an Intercontinental Championship match between current champion at the time, Chris Jericho, taking on the nature boy, 
16-time world heavyweight champion, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, son of a gun, Ric Flair. So, um, this match was pretty much shit. Um, yeah, uh, this well, was shit. I wouldn't say the whole match was shit. I think the the ending was shit. The finish was shit. Um, yeah, you know what? You know, you know Jericho. You know, trying to play full effect, like, oh, you know, my legs hurt. Oh, I'm serious this time. Please, we need medics. We need officials out here. Ah, ooh, you know, he basically played a Ric Flair trait. You know, Ric Flair was obviously the babyface in this match for the time being in this pay per view, and he was just like, oh. I ain't gonna do no heel tactics. I'm gonna be a babyface Ric Flair that nobody would expect out of me. And you know, obviously Jericho doing the heel tactics, something that Ric Flair would probably do back in like the seventies or eighties. Officials are out, referee got his back turned. Obviously it's Charles Robertson because he's in all Ric Flair's matches, by the way. And locks in the walls of Jericho and Ric Flair taps. Now you know, Jericho only got like a handful of moves before the submission, which is fucking horrible in that case. But, you know, the announcers just talk about how embarrassed Flair must be for falling for that. And obviously that's going to lead to some speculations like, hmm, what's Ric Flair going to do about it? Hmm. Okay. Ric Flair on this pay-per-view was perfectly booked in terms of storytelling. You have, he tapped out very quickly, which that was obviously by design. Because you look at it, you're like, holy shit, he tapped out really quick. But, that's part of the story. He's washed up, he's a has-been. He's not the Ric Flair, you know, he's not the jet-flying, plane crash, broken back, all good to go. You know, he's not the one, he's not the Ric Flair who's only wearing a robe and sexually harassing the flight attendants. You know, swinging his wingering around. But, you know, you have him in the locker room. You have that Triple H and RVD segment. And Triple H is just roasting Ric Flair like a turkey, just fucking roasting him. And then, which is great storytelling as well. And I love the acting on Ric Flair's part. He's just sitting there, not doing anything. Just He's doing his little, ugh, you know, I lost. Nobody wants me anymore. But it's just great storytelling. And then you, even when you had him come out later... You're like, oh, this is just revenge for Triple H talking shit. And it's not. It was This was beautiful, overarching wrestling storyline. You know, which you don't have anymore. Nothing makes sense nowadays. You know, they can't even keep continuity for ten minutes, let alone an entire two and a half hour pay-per-view. So this, I really have to commend this Ric Flair storytelling and the turn. Yeah. And obviously this was right around the same time Ric Flair was... Um, Going through a confidence problem, obviously he was a little, you know a little bit of self esteem. He was starting to be a little bit self conscious because you know this is obviously years after being like one of the biggest players in WCW and not only WCW but WWF as well as he won the nineteen ninety two uh, Royal Rumble match, won the WWE Championship, went on to WrestleMania, becoming the main event. You know probably one of the greatest main events in WrestleMania history with Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania eight. And obviously, I'm doing that as favoritism for uh, Mr. DVD Freak here, because that's one of yeah. his favorites. We but, just ignore the yeah. main event. You know, obviously, Ric Flair's last two or three title reigns in WCW were shit, because obviously, this was rolling down to 
uh, WCW's demise, and then WCW was trying to relaunch with the whole Big Bang pay-per-view in Las Vegas in 2001, right before they were aware, like, hey, we're gonna, um, you're going out of business. Sorry to break it up to you, but it's shits. So, uh, y'all gonna go work for Vince now. So, unfortunately, that was the situation. Flair was pretty much washed up. He let his contract roll out, came back after the night after Survivor Series 2001, and that was pretty much it. He was supposed to be only a manager type role, like a GM type role, high authority, I should say. But obviously, that didn't come to, uh, that didn't really come down to it. He wanted to do some in ring competition, and he still had a little bit of fire left in him. God forbid the guy wrestled six more years after that. And yeah, um, you know, it's disappointing that you know he was booked like this. But at the same time, it's smart booking because obviously you're going to be. You're going to look like a loser, but you're going to be on the winning side and, you know, eventually by the, you know, end of the night. But, like Chris Jericho. Uh, pretty much, but, you know, just a little inflated. I it's mean, I think he'll, I,
I'll tell you what. If we're lucky, uh, maybe Chris Jericho will start having confidence issues, and then somebody will take him under his wing when he's like fifty-seven years old. And yeah. I mean, it's it's to the point now where like he has his own orbit. You know, like you can't hit him with a steel chair; it'll just start floating around him. Like this is sad. Like. Anyhow, God. Anyway, oh, fuck Chris Jericho. Got to be hit him in the gut, and he don't feel nothing because he got a little bit of bubbly up in that gut there. But um, other than that, I mean, I always thought Jericho was a phenomenal performer. But once he reached AEW, once he reached out, expanded, and left WWE territory, it you know came down to there where Jericho was just full of confidence, where he was like, hey. You know, I've been on this level for so long. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Because obviously he got the money for it. You know, he does wrestling. He has his own little shitty band on the side. And, uh, you know, he likes to take a cruise. So obviously there's a lot of drinking involved when it comes to that lifestyle. So his stomach is times three. Let's just put it that way. Can we, uh, can we bring back Carrie Fisher from the dead so she can strangle him with a chain and we can end it all? Uh, oh my I, god! Someone will get. Someone will get that. Well, better call up Papa Shango or something. Then he'll run to the ring ten minutes after his cue. And um, unfortunately, this was like the same pay per view where Eric Bischoff basically just kept advertising throughout the whole pay per view of HLA. HLA, oh man, you know, eight year old me, what the fuck does that mean? HLA. <laughs> ha! Ha! Lesbian action, which you know, I, I really don't mind at my age. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I can go no. for a few cougars or milfs. You know, it's, no, well, it's that, a nice feeling. Well, that, that's where you and me disagree. But hey, uh, hey, it's a temptation. But anyway, enough of my personal. Thing. Yeah, JJ's also on my side with that one. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it happened. I didn't make it happen. It just happened. But, Anyway, hello, hello, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, LA don't stand for Los Angeles on this pay per view. Jesus Christ. Oh, oh man. God. This was just. Look, I am not to dwell too deep into this, but I'm very against people who get offended over everything nowadays and, and just people, you know, the snowflakes and just all that crap. But even I cringed at this a little bit. Like, it was too overdone. Eric Bischoff was acting like a freaking... Oh my god, he was acting like a retard about this. Like, it was just... This was, like, the main focus of the pay-per-view. Like, it's fine if you want to give, like, one or two segments for this, but it was literally... Like, this had more storytelling than Ric Flair did in this. Like, he... This, this was just... It was cringy at times. I'm all for it, but tone it down a bit. This is... This is wrestling. Okay. God. And this was all, and this was all an uh, interpromotional match. That's all this was. It's not like it was anything big. Okay, if Stephanie loses, she's in hot lesbian action. If Bischoff wins, whatever. You know, this is two thousand two. Every everybody was ruthless. But anyway, oh. we go on to a very competitive bout here. Probably one of the first competitive bouts um, in this pay per view. We had Edge taking on Eddie Guerrero. And, you know, Edge is coming up into this match just, you know, after suffering a concussion. And, you know, Eddie tries to get him angry early on. Hits a brutal Tornado DDT. Like, this whole match was just full of dynamic moves. Like, this 
some of those moves just like echoed. You could probably hear them from the nosebleed seats. And I love the finish. Obviously, this was Eddie playing his heel tactics. This was before the whole lying, cheating, and stealing. You know, Eddie still had the mullet going on. He he still, you know, that hot-tempered Latino heat, you know, coming back to the WWE after being released in 2001 uh, due to substance problems, obviously. But, goddamn, that sick sunset flip from the turnbuckle by Eddie. Yes. You know, I could see why Edge took a year off. Holy <laughs> yeah. shit. That was so cool. Like, you know, it, that whole arena must have echoed after that. And obviously, Eddie won by, you know, uh, rolling up the tights, which I really don't think it was necessary, especially with the impact of that move. But obviously, you have to do what you have to do. But, God, this had such great psychology and storytelling between Eddie and, you know, they excuse the loss as Edge having a concussion, which is fucking bullshit. Okay, guy had a concussion, but the guy can move like he's at 100%. If he had a concussion, you shouldn't even be sending him out there. <laughs> like, that doesn't... Uh... Well, you know, this, this was before the whole... Um, oh, yeah, this is a... You know, pre- situation here, but... Um, this is before... Anyway. The Father's Day Massacre. But, um... Yeah, but, you know, Eddie wanted to, you know, was a, a consummate cheating bastard, uh, you know, especially around these past couple of years. But I thought this was a really good match that let the show say, hey, give the show a chance, keep it going, especially after that last shitty match between Jericho and Flair. Um, I actually agreed with the finish. I, uh, I did like the roll-up, because being that wasn't a finishing move, which I always commend when a match doesn't end with a finishing move. Because um, it's so predictable at this point. I haven't seen a match end with a clean wrestling move in so long. And, you know, if you're going to roll it up, I think that's good. Because, it, it will, like I said, it wasn't a finisher. So, roll it up and, you know, because you don't want to make Edge look too bad. You know, even if he is concussed, whatever. But, I actually really enjoyed the entire match. Uh, it was kind of spot after spot near the end, but the crowd was into it, so you know that's the important part. And like I said, this was a great finish, and I prefer this match over their uh, SummerSlam match. Yes, um, yeah, pretty much. And obviously, we would see a mix of you know certain individuals later on, um, including Eddie Guerrero and Edge, as you know the SmackDown tag team titles would be in full effect. Uh, the following month, as we would have the finals between Angle and Benoit taking on Mysterio and Edge. Uh, probably one of the greatest tag team matches of that era. But obviously, 2002, um, going into Survivor Series, uh, we would see all six of those men in the same ring. So, anyway. And, you know, what? another thing that really bothered me, what the fuck was with Edge's tights? He looked like a big tropical bag of fucking Skittles. <laughs> Dude, taste the, rain- taste the rainbow, man. Yeah, taste, taste, taste the rainbow, or you know, like Ron Zombie said, "Fucking never gonna stop me." Oh, uh, anyway, God, that theme song is never gonna stop. Can we just end that yet? Are we almost at the pay per view where that goes away? I can't take okay. it anymore. Not until two thousand three, unfortunately. Oh my God, that's so but, awful. Uh, we get into that locker room segment that DVD freak went over. 
uh, prior to this matchup as Triple H barges, in, barges into the locker room and says RVD has no passion and drive. And he basically points out Ric Flair and says he used to have that drive. Which, you know, leads to another, hmm, like, okay. Don't think nothing of it, but, you know, obviously Ric Flair was still around that time. Um, you know, trying to see what the hell they could do with Ric Flair at that point. And obviously, Triple H found the way. While he's dealing with his uh, erectile dysfunction in the corner now, of the locker room. Now, here's another thing that bothers me. I'm not sure about you, but a baby-faced, a legit-shaved baby-faced Triple H does not work as a heel. I don't uh, know I, th- I, think it, I actually think the opposite. I think it makes him look even more like a douchebag. Yeah. I, honestly, I 100% think he is a better heel when he's clean shaven because it's like that i'm better than you clean shaven especially when his hair's dry it's all like flowing and it's just like you prick like you just hate the sight of him and i honestly i completely agree with his decision to start shaving because his nose is fucking awful everyone makes fun of it but you might as well embrace it you know make him hate you more with your big nose i honestly think this was for the best i hate him more without the goatee well, if anybody was smelling what The Rock was cooking, it was either Triple H or Owen Hart. No offense to my favorite wrestler, but uh, yeah. Anyway, we go on to the next match here, which was the interpromotional tag team match between Billy and Chuck taking on Three Minute Warning, which consisted of Rosie and Jamal with their new manager, Rico. Oh, and, you know, for anybody who doesn't know who the fuck Rosie is or... You know, some of you younger fans who sit there and say, huh, he looks like a fat Roman Reigns. Well, you get it. That's Roman Reigns' brother. He does look like a fat Roman Reigns. I was thinking that the whole time. I I was thinking that the whole time. Like, oh my gosh. This this is like Roman Reigns in quarantine after nine months. This is like Roman Reigns if he went on the Jericho cruise. Oh boy, he better call Jenny. Um, Anyway... Uh, we had three minute warning taking on Billy and Chuck and, um, three minute warning did not last long, unfortunately. Um, cause I really thought they were a good utilized tag team, but obviously they didn't last so long as Jamal or better known as Umaga later on would get released. Uh, I want to say maybe April or June of 2003. And then they would pair up Rosie as the sidekick of the Hurricane. No. So, I don't... I guess that's where Roman got his Superman punch from. That's what I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's just embarrassing. No wonder, no wonder Rosie's dead. Look at him. Look at his life. He's a superhero sidekick. And Roman Reigns is, like, main eventing four WrestleManias in a row. Poor guy. Poor Rosie. But uh, rest in peace to Rosie and Jamal. And oh, my God, yeah. Also, this was also around the time. Uh, by the time Three Minute Warning broke up, um, Jamal got into a bit of legal trouble uh, before heading to Japan and TNA and then, you know, coming back to WWE as the most dominating force uh, around that time, the Samoan bulldozer Umaga. Um I love, I love this match. I did. I actually did like this match. 
um, you know, super kick party, you know, before there was a super kick party, he had, you know, super kicks coming from everywhere, you know, Rosie showing his athletic, uh, athleticism by trying to perform a moonsault, but you know, that's nothing unusual as a lot of big guys have performed moonsault in the past, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow and Vader in particular, but, um, Jamal recovers and he hits a press Samoan drop for the win. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a typical way of winning, as I would see. I, you know, for guys like that, I would want to see like a big Samoan splash from like the third turnbuckle. That looks more effective than just throwing your guy in the air like a two K video game and then just hitting your finisher. But um, you know, this being three M. Um, three minute warnings, uh, first big time match. It was a little disjointed, a little bit, and this would also be the last pay per view of Billy and Chuck as a tag team. Oh, uh, dude, it's a dude, I, I, it's a guilty pleasure. I've said it before that wedding segment is just so stupid, but it was amazing at the same time. Uh, this was actually following that segment. Uh, that's what kind of led to this uh, match here, this barn burner main event we have here. But, oh man, they're just, they're really uh, getting to that demographic. First we have the gay wedding, then we have the hot lesbian action. They're really, they're pushing the uh, LGBT here. Yep. But, um, obviously that really didn't come to full swing. Um, but we go on to the next match, which... I actually enjoyed this match. I'm not sure about you. I'm not sure about a lot of people who watched this pay-per-view recently or whatnot. But we had the World Heavyweight Championship match. First time the World Heavyweight Championship is defended on pay-per-view. As we see Triple H taking on Rob Van Dam. Now, obviously Triple H was handed this resurrected pay-per-view. Uh, this pay-per-view. Resurrected title. Um, thanks to Eric Bischoff and, you know, had a lot of opportunities, you know, Rick Flair tried to challenge him to a match so Hunter can prove himself, you know, Hunter can prove himself. And then we had RVD taking on Triple H here. Um, I just love the sequences of matches, um, sequences of moves in this match. I, I think Triple H really, I think these two really meshed well together. Um, obviously the ending came to a full dirty tactic as Ric Flair comes out thinking that he's going to cost Triple H. Oh my God, Ric Flair's here. You know, all that shit talking backstage. He grabs the sledgehammer and I love the commentary because, you know, JR is just like, oh, what's Ric Flair or what's Triple H grabbing a bandaid? Uh, you know, fuck, you know, something like that. It's, I'm not sure exactly what he said, but I recall him saying like some type of band-aid or medical fucking gear or whatever. But Triple H tries to come out with the sledgehammer. Uh, Ric Flair comes out. He then grabs the sledgehammer. RVD gets back to his feet. Gets the sledgehammer to the gut. Triple H picks him back up for the pedigree. Triple H retains within 18 minutes and 18 seconds. Um, Yeah, like I said, I don't find... I didn't really find anything wrong with this match. Only, you know, the only thought that comes to mind is, you know, 
uh, the foreshadowing of something big to come with Triple H and Ric Flair as we would see this formation, or should I say, uh, evolution of superstars. This match, I feel like it really worked because you have sometimes, you know, I don't believe that people opposites attract, but when wrestling, opposites attract a lot of times. So you had Triple H and RVD who it, you would look at that match, you're like, oh, that might not work out. But they had really good chemistry because it was black and white. It was like, it was like the yin and yang, well, RVD reference there. But, um, yeah, I thought this worked on a lot of levels. I actually think RVD kind of carried this match because, you know, it's not often, especially back then, often referred as the uh, Triple H's reign of terror. It's not often that he had a really good match. Um, he did with Shawn Michaels, but look who he's in the ring with. And then here with RVD was great, you know. And, yeah, like I said, RVD really kind of carried this for me. And I don't know if you noticed, man, but Ric Flair fucking whomped him with that sledgehammer. Like, that was bad. Like, I was like, oh, that's not how you do that. Like, I, he just freaking swung it. He didn't even, because usually they have the hand, and they'll just go like that. You know, but no, no, no protection. We're just going to womp you with it. Like, fuck you, Rob. Like, geez, like he piss him off in the back or something. He, did he steal his weed? Well, I think I think RVD was always good at selling moves, which made this match a lot more entertaining than its value. So. Uh, other than that, um, I think it was revealed in the blog that, you know, Van Dam was supposed to be pushed to be. Um, world champion, but obviously, you know, the thing, the way things have turned out, you know, no relation to Katie Vick, which <laughs> obviously we would see in the next pay per view. Um, oh you know, I think things probably would have turned out much better, but I think with no evolution and, you know, obviously Randy Orton and Batista would be recruited later on, you know, I don't think it. Might not have been what they are today. So, other than that, um, th this was a pretty entertaining match. Uh, rather than for, you know, its bulk. Because they really advertised this match well. But obviously, leading into it wasn't really as what everybody expected. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was, uh, it exceeded expectations for sure. Yeah, definitely. My daddy's boots don't fit me. Cause I'm bigger than him. He says I make him sick I'm bigger than him. You see, there's nothing wrong with
Next match here. Uh, what was the next match here? Was it the women's match? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was the women's match. We had uh, Molly Holly taking on Trish Stratus. And uh, Molly Holly, you know, typical soccer mom here, um, going through this persona after being very mighty in her own way, uh, no pun intended, as she was the Hurricanes. First ballet sidekick in a way, and uh, Trish Stratus walks out women's champion uh, within five minutes and forty-seven seconds. Um, I'm I don't know. I might piss some people off here. I always thought Trish Stratus was a little overrated. I don't know about you. I was just she never really impressed me all that much. I don't know about you. She was definitely a great face to the women's division back then, but, I mean, look at the women's division back then. Listen, I mean, man, I, th- I just thought she was drop-dead gorgeous. I could really <laughs> care less how she wrestled. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I'll, in that aspect, I disagree as well. But you and I have yeah. very different tastes. We do. I mean, you're probably over there with, like, Mae Young, you know? like. I want to go that far. Nice try there. Was it was I it your was it your hand? No, nah, well maybe two, but oh. you know. Either way, I, I I never settle alone. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but anyway, we go on to the next uh, technical match here. Um, I always love it. I always love seeing these two wrestle against one another. They always put on clinics, uh, whether they are one one on one facing each other. Or whether they're a tag team, which they would become the first WWE tag team champions for the SmackDown brand at the next pay per view, which will we, which we will get to eventually, uh, probably next year. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, we had uh, see what I did there. Anyway, yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> anyway, we got Kurt Angle taking on Chris Benoit and. You know, this one gets overshadowed by the Royal Rumble match that took place a few months later. But that's okay, because that was one phenomenal match. Now, I love the technicality of this match. Um, You know, you have some rolling Germans, rolling Germans by each performer. Um, Each one's, you know, countering their own submission finisher. And I love, you don't see this move a lot, but I love the Tombstone Shoulder Breaker. I yeah. thought that's a devastating move. And I think the way Benoit, um, you know, hits it, I, I just thought it was so brutal. Because I'm sitting there thinking, I, like, I, it didn't really pay no mind to me. I'm sitting there thinking, like, oh, shit, he's about to hit a Tombstone. Like, Undertaker better come out and be like, copyright, you know. But well, other, other than that, I love, you know the way Benoit demonstrates that move. So, 
Well, even the announcers were selling it as it was about to be a tombstone. And because that's what the audience expected. That, and this was like reversed like three times as well. So it's just like, oh, who's going to hit the pile driver first? And, and then it's not the pile driver. So it's just, it's really cool how they sold it as well. Am I the only one who did not like the finish to this match? I thought it was a little too sudden, which is the point. I get that. But it's Angle and Benoit. Whenever you put them in the ring, I don't care what they're doing. It's going to be gold. And I, I just thought they could have had a better finisher than this. It was a little sloppy, a little out of nowhere. Eh, just wasn't really a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely agree with you. I didn't like the finish. But at the same time, as a wrestling fan, you're sitting there saying, finally, wrestling had come back to the yeah. WWE after years of absence. You know, because the last time you would see good technical wrestling like that was, was like, what, like the early 90s? You had guys like the Steiner Brothers, Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, you know, of that caliber. Mm-hmm. Well, but the only thing I also didn't like about this match, I thought the crowd was too soft. Uh, they were very lukewarm, you mm-hmm. know, especially for two caliper superstars at what they're rated at. Um, I, I tell you, I think Benoit proved a lot of people wrong after the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, that's um, one of my favorite matches of all time. And I can't wait to actually review it. But, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they got the co-main event spot. Well, there was, technically the hot lesbian action was the co-main event spot. But, you know, at least this got time. Uh, This was one of the longer matches of the night. It was like 13 minutes, so. Yeah. um, You know, at least they got time. And it's one of those things where it's a good little taste of what was to come because they would get much more time at the Rumble. And they had already faced each other at WrestleMania 17, so they already had a little bit of history going here. But, you know, all around, this is a good, this is some good foreshadowing at what we'd be seeing and what they were capable of in the future together. Yeah, pretty much. Um, speaking of overshadowed, we go to what you would probably say is the highlight of the night. Um, Eric Bischoff brings out his lesbians. Peaches where, and cream. Where did the third one go? You remember there was a third one? Beats me. Probably ha- probably getting a gangbang by Jamal Rosie. Oh, God. That's how Roman was here. Oh, uh, oh boy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Peaches and Cream, those are the lesbians. Um, then you would have Stephanie McMahon come out and fulfill her obligation. Um and then you'd have Bischoff, you know, he starts directing the lesbian porn like some fucking cinematic wannabe, but then he changes his mind and decides Stephanie should make out with a big, fat, ugly lesbian, which that lesbian would turn out to be, what the hell? It's Rikishi. And um, I thought it was Aretha really... Franklin at first. Oh, God. <laughs> Yikes. But, you know, he super kicks Bischoff and gives him the stink face. Probably not the way Bischoff wanted to go down, but, you know, you gotta keep it raw, right? Oh, yeah. No condom required. Uh, nope. Yeah, this not is just... That. Okay, I'll... You know what my thought was? Like, okay, you're Vince McMahon. And... 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> no more wine. But um, you're Vince McMahon. You're head of creative. You're, you know, you have a very good say in what goes into this show. I just wonder what goes in his mind psychologically to put his daughter into hot lesbian action on pay-per-view. And it, it got a little risque at one point. Like, it wasn't just all talk and no show. Like, there was some smidgen of HLA. And it's just, I was thinking that the whole time. I'm like, what? Is, hmm, interesting, you know? Interesting. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Pretty much. And then um, we would get on to the main event of the evening as we had the WWE Championship. Uh, Brock Lesnar defending his newly crowned championship against The Undertaker. Now, before we get into this match, uh, the soundtrack for this pay-per-view was Adrenaline. That was off the Triple X soundtrack uh, sung by... Uh, Gavin Rosedale, who is the lead singer of Bush, which, honestly, when it comes to songs like that, you know, get into the, into the music topic here, I'm glad that song's not performed live. I think that song's just better off as, like, a studio-based song. So, anyway, getting into uh, this match here, or you have any thoughts... Yeah, um, before we get into the match itself, I watched the Network Edition. I don't know about you, but um, this is the first time, I believe, is this the first time we have Undertaker's new theme? The Dead Man Walking theme? Um, you know what, now that I think about it, possibly. Okay. I, I don't I don't I don't recall hearing it at SummerSlam, but now that you said that, I think this was the first time we heard the Dead Man walking with lyrics. So. Okay. So let me put it this way. I would rather listen to Edge's Rob Zombie theme song than this. I have always hated this theme song with such a passion, it's not even funny. I hated it more than I hate well, I won't go that far. Never mind. We'll, we'll cancel that analogy. I was going to say more than I hate Disney Star Wars, but never mind. That's that's going too far here. I honestly, like, I hate this more than Edge's theme. I hate this more than any other generic theme from, like, a jobber. I, I just, I really hate this theme with a passion. I cannot tell you how much I hate this theme. I would rather ejaculate lava than listen to this theme again. I'd rather have a pencil shoved in my ear and then twisted like a pencil sharpener, then have to listen to this goddamn song again. I hate it. I hate it. And it's just like, Roland worked so well. And I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of Biker Taker, or Big Red, or Booger Red. I'm not a fan of it at all. I'm not. I know we've been over this before, but I, I don't like it. But I always said, at least we had Roland, because it was a great theme. He would revive it for WrestleMania 19. One of, I think that he said that is his favorite entrance he's ever had. Yeah. So why change it? Did you like lose a deal or something? Who would look at that and be like, "Oh no, that needs changed." Let's let's give it to this generic crap. Well, uh, you really got to think about it too. You you didn't hear Limp Biscuit again after 2003, so I'm thinking their partnership probably just dwindled off. Well, actually, no, because. I believe the next thing that they would use for Limp Bizkit for the last time was Build a Bridge 
which was off their 2003 album. But other than live performance-wise, you wouldn't really see Limp Bizkit again. WrestleMania Late 19 was their last performance. Wow. I believe their only performance. But anyway, I mean, obviously, you know, we're both biased here. We both have our own separate opinions. I was a fan of the Biker Undertaker because when I first started watching wrestling, that's who I was introduced to. And then, you know, my eight-year-old mind, nine-year-old mind, Oh my God! Undertaker just died at Survivor Series 2003 <laughs> by getting buried by his brother Kane. Now he's, he's fucking... a dead man walking. <laughs> he's and dead. I like, oh. And I was like, oh, I get it now because he used to be the dead. Okay, you know, and it finally clicked after a certain age. But anyway, WWE Championship match: Brock Lesnar versus the Undertaker. And basically, this all started with Lesnar and Heyman um, terror. You know, they terrorized. Uh, Taker's then pregnant wife Sarah, and which you know, God forbid that really didn't work out well because the kid didn't even sell it. <laughs> see what I did uh, there? Yeah, I see it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I thought this match was bland. Um, obviously, I did not like the finish. I'm pretty sure you didn't like the finish either. They both end up being disqualified. Matt Hardy gets involved in this match, which is probably like the only time you would actually see Matt Hardy in a main event caliber type match um, in his WWE career. And, um, you know, it leads to uh, Undertaker throwing uh, Brock Lesnar through the uh, the stage. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that was a beautiful stage, too, by the way. I loved it. Um, you, you know what? I, for for that being a generic stage, I like it. You know, I I really don't get. Obviously, we gotta be in tech. You know, high tech nowadays, up up to date. But I hate the HD stages nowadays. Like oh, yeah. it does. It's not traditional wrestling. Obviously, WWE went to that route where it's like we're pure entertainment. But um, obviously, it's been like that for years. But ever since they introduced like. The electronic, you know, uh, aprons and like the turnbuckles. It was like, like, what the fuck is this? Like, this ain't wrestling to me. Like, this is why nowadays I prefer going to an indie event with Rick or you know anybody else rather than just going to a WWE show where I know it's going to be well or poorly scripted. Yeah, you're going to get me hot here. Uh, I can't talk about this shit. Um, It's just, yeah, it's infuriating. But, you know, a wrestling ring should not be bastardized by stupid LED posts, LED boards. And I always thought it was even dumber. They have, like, one apron so they can get weapons and shit out of there. Like, what sense does that make? That's retarded. Stop with the... Stupid LED bullshit. I hate it. And then the stages, it's just like... I remember it was always exciting to see what the stage was going to look like. And then at Royal Rumble 2014, they started the trend of using the Raw and SmackDown stage for the pay-per-views. It's just like, you look at it, you don't even know what the hell you're watching. This doesn't feel special. It's awful. I hate them. And, you know, that's the thing about stages now, too. They're not unique. Obviously, the stages nowadays are based off of gimmick matches, which is another pet peeve of mine, which I I, I haven't been a fan of since they introduced the gimmick pay-per-views. 
Yeah. But, um, you know, this match ended in 20 minutes, 24 seconds. And, you know, Matt Hardy was supposed to cost Taker the match. But according to Dave Meltzer, Taker didn't want to lose. Oh, not sure what the big deal on that was. Whatever. I guess Taker sees him as he sees him. You know, he, he has to be some type of reliable figure here. God forbid he was wrestling for almost over 30 years. But, you know, uh, going into this pay-per-view overall, I think if WWE had been doing branded pay-per-views instead of co-branded pay-per-views at this point, I think the SmackDown side of things would have been awesome. But I don't really think the Raw side of things really um, executed. Now, um, and we would see the introduction of brand pay-per-views soon. And, you know, I am, I always feel like I'm in the minority here. I always loved brand pay-per-views. And then you have the big four. You'd have both brands coming together. Well, the first branded pay-per-view wouldn't be till uh, Bad Blood 2003. Yeah, which was, like, June. Yeah. So, so we're getting there, but, yeah. And um, I think uh, it's just you have such a big roster. You have all this new talent. You have these, um, you know, you can't have two rosters be on one pay-per-view every month. That's not going to work. You can't utilize everybody. Like, for example, Rey Mysterio wasn't a part of this pay-per-view. Or, you know, John Cena, who was another uh, new, uh, new acquirement. And then you had, you know, Randy Orton, you had Deacon Batista, who would all get the spotlight eventually, but you could have really built them up on pay-per-view. So, it's just like, you only have the stars. Well, um, when, it, when it came to Batista, I don't think they really, I don't think they advertised him, you know, being repackaged and, you know, getting over until about October. And then Randy yeah. Orton, I believe he was still out with an energy. Uh, with an injury, I don't think he came back until No Way Out. Um, even though he was still doing promos week after week, saying, "Hey, I'm at sixty-seven percent, seventy percent. I'm almost healed." And it's like, all right, big whoop-de-doo, and you know he had that fucking frizzled freaking Zac Efron hair going on, which I had no fucking idea where the fuck that came from. But um.
pay-per-view. Um, the mo- you know, the opening match was good, and then Guerrero and Edge, Benoit and Angle were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your letter grade be? I think I think I have mine. For me, I would give this a solid C plus. Okay. I w- I would give this a C plus only because midway through the match, that's when everything started to pick up. I did not mind the RVD and Triple H match. I love the psychology. I you know, I love the uh, the back and forth. Even though RVD was more mainly in control, you know, he looked strong. But I, I like the way Triple H sold it. You know, I like the way Triple H was like, "All right, let me give this guy a chance a little bit." Until, you know, we fucked things up in the end. But it was still good booking. Because, obviously, Triple H was now under Triple H's... Or, Ric Flair was under Triple H's wing. And I don't think the main event really executed. Obviously, we would see a better main event between those two individuals at next month's pay-per-view. Inside the the steel-structured... Hell in the Cell, which is a very highly underrated or match that's always looked past. So, for some of you guys who haven't seen that Hell in the Cell match, um, me and Freak highly um, recommend it. That's uh, that's my favorite Hell in a Cell match. So, <clears throat> and Hell in a Cell matches are dead, but let's not get into that. But you know, this was back when they were going strong before uh, they fucked things up. Uh, for me, I was ready to give this a solid B until the main event. That really just killed so much momentum. And the disqualification... Uh-uh. So, I would... I'm going to be a little nicer. I'm going to go B-. minus. I enjoyed it. Um, we had some great action. You know, um, Edge and uh, Eddie Guerrero was phenomenal. Ben Juan, Kurt Angle, like you said, was great. Even the opener was fun, you know? So, it was a good paced pay-per-view. The aesthetics were great. Uh, The storytelling was great with Ric Flair. You know, I gotta bump it up just for that one. So, yeah, I'm gonna go B-. Yeah, pretty much. And pretty much after this pay-per-view, there's a lot of things that we would pretty much never see again. Um, you know, Billy and Chuck as a tag team, um, which is pretty much devastating because I, I always looked at that tag team as being underrated, but fun. They were always entertaining. Um, but I also believe this was around the time Billy sustained an injury. So there was no point of leaving Chuck by himself while still under that persona. So it was like, all right, it's either take it or leave it. Uh, Chuck was written off television for a couple weeks until Nunzio made his debut. And in 2003, we would get the FBI, a WWE version of the FBI, at least. And I always looked at Chuck Palumbo as very underutilized, because I think he brought a lot to the tank. But obviously, he lacked lacked a lot of um, charisma and personality. Do you remember when he... um... He had a love triangle with Michelle McCool and Jamie Noble on SmackDown. Yeah. And this was right around, and I believe this was around the time Chuck was doing the uh, his version of American Badass. 
Yeah, he had the little motorcycle, and oh god, uh, I always I liked him, but it's just yeah. a shame, man. I think that was his last run, right? Like two thousand eight was like the last yeah. time we saw him. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, you know, I specifically remember at that time, like WWE not mentioning Chuck's past. Like, oh, he was here a couple years ago. It's like they always seem to do that with certain individuals. Like, I remember when R Truth came back to WWE in 2008. They basically just didn't even bother talking about his run as K Quick or being like a two time hardcore champion, uh, ta- tag teaming with the Road Dog. Um, obviously, they wanted to relaunch him as like a brand new character. Yeah, it would have been funny if, like, uh, he's on a date with Michelle McCool and Jamie Noble just looks at him. He's like, I thought you were gay. Just something little like that. Like, that would have been great. Like, could you imagine? And then Chuck's just like, um, you know, just sitting there like an idiot. But, yeah, you know, there's no such thing as continuity with this company. So, Well, God forbid, if you look at Chuck Palumbo, he looked like he'd be on a hair, uh, like a shampoo commercial. But He can hang out with the Jurgens kangaroo. Yeah, pretty much, you know. But anyway, I mean, I think that was like his last full stint in wrestling, as obviously he does pursue um, his passion into, um, you know, motorcycles and everything. So what he did that last run in WWE was the real version of Chuck Palumbo. Um, Never mind, I fucked that up. It's not Jurgens, it's Aussie. The Aussie purple kangaroo. Oh, God. Well, a well, little fun fact for there. So, I, I think the big question would be, did Palumbo use moose or did he use hairspray? Or did he use both? Who knows? I would say, like, pomade. You know what? I don't even know why the fuck we're even talking about this. But, um... <laughs> anyway, um... I did enjoy this pay-per-view. Um, obviously we were in the hype of, um, 2002 pay-per-views. Like this was the second half of 2002 as everything's basically transcending into a a further height when it comes to top caliber matches. So a lot more to come. We got no mercy coming up. Oh yeah. uh, Which that will be one of our first shows in year 2021. And like I said, guys, hopefully you guys enjoyed your holidays. Merry Christmas. And, you know, before we sign off here, I just want to leave off on a personal note. Um, Just want to thank all you guys for tuning in, making this all possible. And, of course, uh, me and DVD Freak and JJ would like to thank the professor, Rick Del Santo, for making this all possible for us. Uh, especially for me, I mean, this is my first year doing YouTube. Uh, this is my first year doing content creating. So, you know, never thought I'd be here doing all these episodes with, I don't want to sit here and sound like a kiss ass, but you know, one of my idols here, one of my influential figures right in front of me. So, you know, DVD three, you know, I'm not trying to be mushy gushy here, but thank you very much. But you know, other than that, we definitely got to thank Rick because if it wasn't for Rick, um, we wouldn't be able to perform on this, you know, phenomenal platform, which is the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. Um, 
along with Andy, the Greenport Destroyer. Um, yeah, just thank all you guys and thank you to all our listeners for giving us the opportunity to perform for you guys. You know, I mean, you know, we're getting there. This is just the beginning. We're hoping 2021 we're going to come with a big bang and not that shitty WCW pay-per-view that never happened. We're going to come out with a big bang. I, um, I, I guess I'll get mushy while we're here, but, um, I've been on YouTube. I started watching YouTube in like during its infancy in like early 2005. I think it was something like that. And then I started YouTube in 2011 making videos. I've had a lot of channels since I think I've had like seven channels at this point, but I think doing this, like our regular Sunday shows, it's been some of the most fun. It probably is the most fun I've ever had on YouTube. You know, it's not, you know, it's not something that we have to come on here and worry about. You know, we just come on here, have a good time, shoot the shit. And, you know, I can't take everything so seriously. And that's what I like. You know, we just come on here. We act ourselves, the regular cast of characters, as we call ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I just came on for a one-time appearance and for Extreme Rules, the harder show. And uh, here we are, like six months later. So it's been a ride. Um, yeah, hopefully the next um, few years we just kill it. So, you know? And, you know, you know, we're going to promise you guys, you know, everything's not guaranteed, you know, but... You know, we, we tend to bring out the best content as we could possible. You know, look back at some of our content this past year, um, doing pay-per-view reviews. You know, when me and Rick started, we were doing impact reviews. Then we got DVD Freak involved. We reviewed the ECW Living Dangerously 2000. And it just went on from there. And, you know, between that and, you know, the amazing guests that we've had on this show between JT Dunn, Old Dread, The House of Pain, um, Duke the Dumpster Josie, our recent guest, Barry Horowitz. You know, it's just been phenomenal. Uh, the Metal Maniac. So, hopefully, we'll bring on some more guests, some returning guests, uh, very, very soon for you guys. But we're about to sign off here on this Christmas edition of the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. So, freak. If you want to start with your social media information, my friend. Go to the Wrestling DVD Room on Facebook. It's a fun time for everyone to be had. Um, Snapchat, uh, I think it's the DVD Freak, something like that. And then um, Instagram, Twitter, you know, go on your little machines, type in the DVD Freak and click the name. Usually it's just a picture of a blue CM Punk logo because I'm too lazy to create my own. And, um, yeah, on YouTube, obviously, because uh, I haven't been active for a while. i got to do that. But anyway, yeah, DVD Freak, go check me out. Good times. And, of course, you can find me on all forms of social media, but especially YouTube as DNBS94. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, especially if you're going to be watching my channel and you're not subscribed. What are you doing? Hit that button. And be sure to also subscribe to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. And until next time, guys, you have a great night and Merry Christmas to you. Stay safe.